as you guys make your way to your seats. Don't forget about your green Trinity Connect cards. If you've been here for seven years, if you've been here for one week, please fill these out so that we have good ways to communicate to you. The text this morning comes from John chapter 7 in verses 1 to 19. So if you are willing and able, would you please stand as I lead us by reading God's word. After that, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke, spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On Saturday, December 14th of 2019, Olive Heilingoffel, a two-year-old from Northern California, suddenly stopped breathing. Olive's dad, Andrew, and her mom, Callie, who was a worship leader at their megachurch, Bethel Church, 
called 911 when they realized that the daughter had suddenly stopped breathing. First responders arrived and tried to revive her. They transferred her to the hospital where she was attempted to be revived. And in the end, doctors pronounced her dead. And her little two-year-old body was moved to Shasta County Coroner's office. The loss of a child is an unspeakable tragedy. What happened later that day may have marked the beginning of yet another tragedy. You see, that evening, Olive's mom asked their church community to pray that her daughter would come back to life. She posted to her 240,000 Instagram followers this message, Olive's time here is not done, and it is our time to believe boldly and with confidence. Wield what King Jesus paid for. It is time for her to come to life. For seven days, their church prayed for Olive's resurrection. And they were bombarded online by messages like this. This has, been, this has brought great sadness to me, but we believe that God is a miracle worker, and I know that He's going to perform a miracle for this family and for the whole world to witness it. For seven days they prayed. On the eighth day, they started making arrangements for a memorial service. Well, there's many things that I could say about this situation. The root behind it is this. What happens, or what do you do when Jesus doesn't show up at the time and in the manner that you want? What do you do when Jesus doesn't show up at the time and in the manner that you want? Olive's parents wanted Jesus to show up in two days, three days, four days, and in the manner that they want, resurrection of their dead daughter. It is a macro scope of what you and I experience every single day. What do you do when Jesus doesn't show up in the time and in the manner that you want? And actually, that's the primary question posed in today's text. So if you're a kiddo, all the kids, if you're fifth grade and below, raise your hand. Let me see where you are. Yes, very tiny. I want you to listen for three words, okay? The first word is pilgrimage. The second word is captivity. And the third word I think you'll like. The third word is Superman. So, whenever you hear pilgrimage or captivity or Superman, make sure to write it down, okay? Today's text begins in Galilee, which is in the north. Um, it's far from Judea and Jerusalem in the south. And verse 2 tells us that the feast of Jews, uh, the, the Jews' feast of booths, 
was at hand. This could also be called the Feast of Tabernacles. The feast occurred in Jerusalem once a year on the fifth day of the seven-month Tishri. And that really, the Jewish calendar doesn't have the same number of days as our Gregorian calendar. So it can go from somewhere between late September to late October. And it was one of three pilgrimage festivals in which the Israelites were required to perform a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. We see this in in Leviticus. I want to read this to you from Leviticus 23, where this is instituted, and try to paint a picture for it. Leviticus 23, 40 and following says, And you shall take on that first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So you can imagine it. what's happening is they're bringing all of these palm, palm branches and, and boughs of willow trees and everything, and when they arrive at Jerusalem, they, do, they set up a tent. Just like you would if you were in your Coleman tent or what have you, they set up a tent using all of this foliage that they brought with them, and then they stay there for the seven days while they're in Jerusalem. Whenever it's over, they pack up and they go home. So there were three of these pilgrimage feasts that every Jew was required to come to every year. Now, that's what was happening, let's say, nationally. If we see what Jesus had been doing in the Galilee region to the north previous, he's been doing miracles or signs. Uh, The Apostle John never uses the word miracles. He always uses signs. And so his brothers say in verse 3, look, leave here and go. Go to Judea so that they can see what you're doing. Because if you're in Galilee, you've got a small audience. Really, it's pretty small. But you go down to Jerusalem and in the middle of a feast, everyone is going to be there. Go down there so you can get attention for yourself. Notice what his brothers want. Some of this is speculation, but I think it's reasonable. They want him to go to Jerusalem and do miracles so that he would gain a following. And that's right after what we see in chapter 6, verse 66. Jesus finishes this giant uh, uh, teaching and conversation with much of his crowd, and he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, otherwise you will not have life in you. How can, you, how can we do that? You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And in verse 66 of chapter 6, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned and no longer walked with him. Jesus had a large crowd. He finishes, and a majority of the people leave. His brothers see this, and I, I could imagine this would feel awful, Right? Could you imagine Pastor Blake up here 
and his family's in town, and he starts saying something that sounds really difficult to hear, even though it's true. And we think it's so crazy that a majority of us get up and walk out. I'm going to be really concerned because I'm not the lead pastor. I'm the associate, and, you know, I've got to get paid somehow, guys. <laughs> of course, Jesus wasn't being paid. In other words, brothers. But if you're along and you think this is a movement, a real possible messianic movement, that had to be really discouraging. And so the brothers came up with a plan. Hey, go on this pilgrimage. Do all the, the neat healings and everything you've been doing down there. Maybe instead of feeding 5,000, you can, you can feed 500,000. And everything's going to be great. But we know that the brothers' thought pattern is off when we get to verse 5. Look, it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. This wasn't merely, they didn't understand Jesus' plan. It was deeper than that. It's, they don't understand Jesus. That they didn't believe in him. Not much is said about that. And then immediately we move to Jesus in verses 6 through 8. He's telling them, he's being kind, and telling them why He's not going to go with them. And he says, My time has not yet come. Your time is here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. We see Jesus saying these words in all the gospel accounts. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. In a little bit, we're going to see people pick up rocks and get ready to stone Jesus. And somehow he slips away. Why? His time has not yet come. They're seeking him to jail him, and he's able to escape. Why? His time has not yet come. Jesus, if you read the gospel accounts, he is one of the greatest escape artists to have ever lived. Right? Nobody can catch Jesus. Where is he? I don't know. I don't know how a grown man disappears from the temple when he was teaching and people are trying to arrest him. Of the many qualities of Jesus, one thing it tells me, that dude was fast. He was fast. If he could have started running back on the first Hebrew football league, I don't know. But we see it. Because the whole thing builds to fulfill all the Scripture so that whenever he's crucified, he is crucified, and that is the exact moment that it's been planned for from the history of the world past. That there is a moment. There's a moment to get arrested. There's a moment to be flogged. There's a moment, a singular moment, where his hands had to be nailed to the cross. So Jesus says, it's not my time. And then the text throws us for a loop, doesn't it? He stays in Galilee. And then verse 10, but after his brothers had gone to the feast, then he went up. Not publicly, but in private. He says, it's not my time. A couple days later, it's his time. He wanted to go to Jerusalem alone. Why? 
because of what we see in verse 14. Skip to verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Why did Jesus want to go to Jerusalem alone? Imagine, imagine this. If Jesus goes to Jerusalem with his brothers, what happens? People begin to either recognize Jesus or they recognize Jesus' brothers and go, this is the guy. The long trek from Galilee to, to Jerusalem, all that way, Jesus is being recognized. He's gathering followers. Could you imagine the size of the crowd that would get to Jerusalem there if Jesus went with his brothers? And so when he would, whenever he would arrive for the Feast of Booze, you could have hundreds, thousands of people following Jesus. That was not in Jesus' plan. If Jesus goes to the feast in private, then he's able, in the middle of the seven-day feast, to stand up and teach. Stand up and teach, which to, to me shows that his timing is stunning. When he stands up to teach in the temple, he wants the words to rest upon his father's authority, not on the authority of a crowd. If Jesus shows up to Jerusalem with thousands of people, it seems like Jesus' authority comes from the fact that this crowd has anointed him Messiah or, or miracle man or prophet or whatever it might be. He goes in disguise, middle of the feast, stands up and he teaches. And his teaching authority at that point rests solely upon his father. And you see this. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And then verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. Notice as well. And this is, this is subtle in the text, but it's important. When Jesus stands up to teach in the temple, he wants his words to rest upon his father's, father's authority and not his own signs and miracles. Jesus was doing signs and miracles in Galilee, and that gave credence to his words. Here, he shows up, does no signs, no miracles, and merely teaches because he wants his teaching to rest upon the Father's authority. It's a really stunning turn of events because if you look back at verses 3 and 4 with me, what did the brothers want Jesus to do? Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see the works you were doing. The brothers wanted him to go to Jerusalem and do a bunch of miracles. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Let, let me even add to that. They want Jesus to go to Jerusalem with a throng of people with him and Jesus do miracles in front of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Jesus' plan, I'll go by myself. I'm not going to do one miracle. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to teach my people. Do You see the stark contrast here of what Jesus is doing. I could only imagine what his own brothers were thinking. They wanted Jesus to do miracles to legitimize himself 
And Jesus chooses not to work that way. He teaches. He's going to do something different. What do you do when Jesus doesn't show up at the time and in the manner that you want? What Brittany read earlier from Lamentations shows exactly this. Lamentations was written during what the Bible calls the Babylonian captivity. That's one of your words, kids, captivity. So what is the Babylonian captivity? In 586 B.C., the Babylonians invaded Judea and Jerusalem and utterly destroyed Jerusalem and Solomon's temple. It was built 400 years earlier. Wholesale devastation and slaughter is brought upon kings and priests and princes and lay folks. Starving mothers were reduced to cannibalizing their own children. That's how bad the situation was. The Israelites call out and ask God to end the destruction, and He is silent. The Babylonian captivity, in a very brutal way, mirrors what we see in Jesus' brothers and in us. We want Jesus to work in a certain way, and maybe Jesus wants to teach us instead. We learn later on that the Babylonian captivity very much was God wanting to teach his people. The brothers here, they didn't have anything bad happen to them. Jesus shows up and teaches, but Jesus was interested in teaching them rather than doing what they wanted. What do you do when Jesus doesn't show up at the time and manner that we want? So often we want Jesus to be Superman for us. We don't want Jesus to be Jesus for us. We want Jesus to be Superman for us. You can see this in issues of health, temptations, all sorts of things. You know, I've been a person who's had a lot of health issues in my life. I've, of course, been a person who's been tempted just like you in so many different ways. I want to read for you something here from James. James 1, verse 2 it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Here's how the King James says it. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet temptations of various kinds. It's a strange way to put it, isn't it? Count it all joy when I face trials or temptations. You know what we do? We say... Superman Jesus, please help me out of this. My house is about to flood. Superman Jesus, please. My daughter is very, very sick. Superman Jesus, please. We don't say Superman. You understand. It's that we want him to swoop in, 
Just like in the old Superman movies, which are much better than the newer ones, the old Christopher Reeve movies, once, you know, a beautiful girl is falling to her death in Niagara Falls, and a dude has time to change and to fly and save her before she gets to the bottom of the falls and pick her up. And when we call out for deliverance, when we call out for help, it's that kind of thing. And maybe Jesus is just going, I'm just going to sit here because I want to teach you something. If you remember, Mary and Martha were really upset with Jesus because Jesus heard that Lazarus was very sick. He waited for Lazarus to die and didn't show up until the body was stinking. He ended up raising Lazarus, but that was to teach Mary and Martha. When Jesus doesn't show up in the way that we want, at the time that we want, how does that color our vision of who he is? Or do we still maintain a faith and a trust in him? We sing about this very thing when we were singing the the Psalm 46, Lord of hosts. You are with us in the fire. Not you get us out of the fire. You are with us in the storm. Your child's sick. Your finances are awful. Whatever it may be, friend, what Jesus is trying to teach you, he's not in a phone booth changing, waiting to scoop in. He's saying, I am already here in it with you. And I will handle it the way I know best, which is the way best. And he holds you and is with you. And sometimes, sometimes that is tragic. There's not a thing that happens on this earth that happens without him permitting it. Sometimes it is absolutely tragic. It's tragic because someone like Olive Heilingathal is in her grave. And our only hope of resurrection on our last day, our only hope of resurrection for Olive, for us, rests not upon Jesus' miracles, but upon his teaching in Jerusalem. That he teaches us that he is the great I am. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the only way to the Father. And if you want eternal life, it is knowing him. And it so happens that Jesus' most authoritative sign, authoritative miracle, is when our Savior was resurrected from the dead. That one said, all that Jesus taught you is true. That he is at the right hand of the Father, and he is awaiting the day when the Father says, You may return to your people. And it is so much more glorious in that day. We get him as he is, more glorious than the Superman we all kind of want. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity in this day and age, to have copies of your word. 
And for three quarters of the history of the church, the average Christian did not even have that. Help us to be able to look at your word anew and afresh. I ask that you would help us to contemplate how we view our Savior and what we expect when we ask things of Him. And Father, as we collect our offering, help us to give joyfully and sacrificially. Continue to work through Trinity for the good of the saints here and through the many kingdom people and ministries that we support. In His name we pray. Amen.